0: Thank you, ladies, for leading us to that throne room of grace to remind us of our great God. It's good. Today, we have the privilege of listening to the wisdom of God's word from the book of Proverbs. We come to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, we read this scripture today from our God who is infinite in wisdom. If you think you've got God figured out, your God is too small, (laughs) He is an infinite God, He's infinite in wisdom, and yet the wisdom contained in his word reveals who he is. Beyond that sacred page of the word of God, we look to the the God of the word and Jesus Christ. Let's read this together. I'll read it as you follow along in Proverbs 24. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk trouble. By wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches A wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might For by wise guidance you give wage you you can wage your war and in an abundance of counselors there is victory Wisdom is too high for a fool and the gate He does not open his mouth. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart? perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? May God bless the reading of his word.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Bill Lyle, and I practice obstetrics and gynecology. I'm board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, and I'm licensed to practice medicine in both Alabama and Florida. I've been in private practice almost 20 years and I've delivered almost 4,000 babies with two primary rules. We want to have a healthy mom and we want to have a healthy baby. It's amazing how over the past 20 years our technology has changed so that we can truly treat the preborn as patients while they're in the womb. Our imaging technology has changed with ultrasound and MRI. It's amazing what we can see, but now we're treating the babies as the patient that they are while they're in the womb. We can do blood transfusions directly to the baby as early as 19 weeks gestation. Centers around the country are now doing heart surgery on the babies as early as 22 weeks gestation. They are correcting spina bifida on baby in the womb laparoscopically at 22 weeks gestation. If they're a patient, they're a person, and if they're a person, they deserve our protection. Yesterday was a sad day in New York. I grew up across the river in New Jersey, but it was a sad day in New York when Governor Mario Cuomo signed the Reproductive Health Act into law. I saw the cheers when it was passed in the House. I saw the cheers, the smiles and celebrations when it was passed in the Senate. And then I saw all the smiling people and all the cheers and celebration. Celebrating what? The governor just signed a law saying that we can take the lives of the babies in the womb. Up until their due date. That's nothing to celebrate. We can have babies in our NICU doing great at 24 and 25 weeks gestation. Are there reasons why we need to deliver babies early sometimes? Yes, but not take their lives in the process. Deliver them and let them survive and thrive in our NICU. To take the lives of these babies in the womb breaks my heart. It is not good for us. It is not good for America. America is a nation that was founded on virtuous people. You know, our freedom is built on our virtue. You know, de Cokeville when he came to view America and study America and say, Why is America great? His conclusion, America is great because America is good. If America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Taking the lives of the babies in the womb is not good It is not gonna have us be great. It is a bad thing. So we look at the way New York celebrated. Not only did they light up the World Trade Center, not only did they light up the bridges, they lit up buildings in the Capitol with bright pink lights saying, we celebrate taking the lives of our babies. There are consequences for actions, and unfortunately I think New York State will suffer consequences for this kind of horrible behavior. We treat the preborn as patients. Here in Florida, we're going to stand up for the lives of the preborn. We have a representative, Mike Hill, who is now introducing a heartbeat bill to say once we can see the heartbeat, that is a new person, and we're going to protect that life of that baby on the inside. There is value. That is good. Protecting the lives of the babies on the inside is a good thing, it is a virtuous thing. If America wants to stay great, America must continue to be that shining light on the hill and do good taking the lives of the baby not good protecting the lives of the baby and treating them as patients as persons and protecting them that is good and that's what we will stand up for and that's what we will fight for we will stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves we will speak out for those who cannot speak for themselves and we will protect of the lives of the pre-born thank you for your time and have a wonderful day
2: That's uh, Dr. Bill Lyle. He spoke at Cedarville University this past week, a university that we support in our missions giving. We, many of us send our children to Cedarville. It's a very good place, and it's speakers like this that they have this week highlighting the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday that today is. On January 13, 1984... It was President Ronald Reagan that issued a proclamation designating January 22nd as the first National Sanctity of Human Life Day. It's January 22nd, 1973, that was the day the United States Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand in all 50 states. Since then, churches around the United States use this day to celebrate God's gift of life to commemorate the many lives lost to abortion, 61 million now and counting, and commit ourselves to protecting human life at every stage. Churches like ours, churches who believe like us, continue to recognize the third Sunday in January as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. We are in a series of messages titled Challenging Chapters in the Bible. Let's uh, begin our discussion today on this subject by pointing out several chapters in the Bible that are crucial to our understanding of the sanctity of human life. Maybe you'll jot these chapters down because this is what uh, uh, an informed Christian should be able to do. You should be able to open your Bible and advance the conversation, the discussion about the sanctity of human life. And where would you turn? Where would you start? Well, let me suggest Psalm 139, Isaiah 49, Jeremiah 1, and Psalm 51. These four chapters are informative chapters to the discussion about the sanctity of human life. And and Informed Christians ought to be able to open their Bibles and give a reasonable explanation about why we hold the values that lead us to the virtues that lead us to the legislation that ought to be common in this country. Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And the point here is that the psalmist Uh, was being acknowledged as being a person in the womb. God acknowledged this. In the womb, this was a person that God knitted together from my mother's womb. It says, Isaiah 49 piles on. Here, uh, the, uh, the writer says, God called that person, Isaiah, while still in the womb. Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. This was a person. If we're talking about personhood, here God called them by name in the womb. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet, Jeremiah says to the nations, when, after his birth or before his birth? As a pre-born person, he was known by God and called, consecrated, it says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Add to it. Psalm 51 verse 5 Behold I was brought forth in iniquity the psalmist says and in sin did my mother conceive me not just give birth to me but conceive me so God declared that people even in the womb are declared sinners you know from conception not merely from birth so that So that the continuum of personhood starts in the womb, not merely afterward. And of course, that's instructive to this whole discussion about when is a person a person? When is a baby a baby? Uh, And these chapters are instructive about that. If you add to that a few more foundational chapters from the Bible... We, we begin to have a very complete picture that informs our philosophy, our worldview. Add to these chapters, Genesis chapter 1, Exodus chapter 20, Genesis chapter 9, Proverbs chapter 6. These are chapters Christians ought to be able to turn to in their Bibles and advance the discussion. Because given all of that indication about when a person is a person, from the pages of Scripture, then you add to that these foundational ideas and concepts given to us in the Bible, beginning in Genesis chapter 1, that all people, regardless of where they're born on planet Earth, are made in the image of God. So every single person, regardless of their racial background and heritage, regardless of their geographical location... Every single human being is made in the image of God. That means they are made with dignity and value to God because God is the giver of all human life. See, that's a foundational truth. You add that to what we've just discussed and you're beginning to build a very complete, very clear message from the Bible. Add to that Exodus chapter 20. If God is the giver of life and all human life is made in the image of God, then you layer on top of that God's admonition, you shall not commit murder. You cannot arbitrarily take life that God gives. If it was merely some human thing, just a a glob of cells that is developing and and ultimately is born. Well, that's one thing. But if that life is truly a gift from God, God then says, I have the prerogative to make up the rules about that life. And here's the rule. You don't get to take life arbitrarily because I'm the one who gives life. It's therefore my prerogative, my sovereign rules that must be followed about life. You see that concept? Exodus chapter 20, God gets to make the rules. You cannot, you should not commit murder. And in Genesis chapter 9, it says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image." from the truth that God is the giver of life, all human life is made in the image of God. He gets to make the rules about a human life and you don't get to take human life arbitrarily. And here's what he says, "I'm going to require a price from you if you mess up on that rule because I'm the giver of life. I will require that there'll be a life, there'll be a price to pay horizontally for taking human life." And there'll be a price to pay vertically for taking human life because I am the author of life. I am the generator of life. I'm the one who gives it. I make the rules about it. And then when you break those rules, there's going to be a price to pay horizontally and vertically. And then he goes on to say in Proverbs chapter 6, God hates the shedding of innocent blood. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And it comes down to hands that shed innocent blood. Don't mess up on this thing, God's saying. I'm giving you a special notice, special warning. Human life is critical and special to me. It ought to be to you, but even if it's not to you, I'm going to require the price for it. Don't mess up on this. I'm here to tell you, we as a society, the United States of America, maybe what people used to consider the most advanced culture on the planet, we've messed up about this. We are creating a culture of death rather than the virtue of life, and that's perilous. What's the conclusion to all this? The Bible is pro-life. Why? Because human life is a gift from God and we are made in the image of God. Therefore, we must respect life. We have it as a gift from God. He's given it to us in such a way that we are in His very image. Different than the animals. Different than the bears and the lions and the tigers, oh my. Different than... We are humans made in the image of God unlike anything else. He gets to make the rules about them. He said we should protect them. And he hates the shedding of innocent blood. And here we come to the insert that you have in your bulletin today. It says, Oh, hold them back on the front of this pretty picture of this little baby. It's given to us from this organization called Life Matters Worldwide. This is one of the ministries that we support, that every time you give a penny or a dollar or a thousand dollars in the offering plate, praise God for those thousand dollars, a portion of that goes to the ministries that we support. This is one of them. used to be called Baptists for Life. It's renamed to themselves called Life Matters Worldwide. And they, uh, if you turn it over on the written side of that uh, brochure, the passage that we just read is highlighted for us Proverbs chapter 24. And in these challenging chapters series, we come to Proverbs chapter 24 and these particular verses, which send us out on something of what I would call a rescue mission. As we come down here to these verses, In particular, here, verse 12, when we see here the admonition, rescue, or verse 11, pardon me, verse 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Oh, some translations say, oh, hold them back, those who are stumbling toward the slaughter. What's the conclusion? The conclusion is That we need to be rescuing those who are headed toward slaughter. Rescue them. Do all you can to rescue the weak and needy from death and destruction. That's what that challenging chapter brings to our attention this morning. Here's the challenge to the church. Be the voice of those voiceless ones. Those who are headed toward destruction, toward the slaughter, oh, hold them back from it. The admonition on the front of this brochure reminds us, be reminded on the sanctity of human life Sunday that we have a responsibility to stand for God's legislation. Even if man's legislation doesn't parallel, even if it doesn't track with what it ought to track, even if it Contradicts God's law. Here's God's law. Hold back the violence that is headed. Look at the very first verse, chapter 24. Be not en- en- envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. And he's talking about evil men, evil men, for their hearts devise violence. Abortion is violence against a baby made in the image of God that God has specifically protected with his legislation. And we are challenged to protect, hold them back from the violence and the slaughter of this passage calls evil men. Do you see it? Verse 12, claiming ignorance... If you say, behold, we did not know this. We didn't know the violence was going on. We didn't know the slaughter was going on. Claiming ignorance of a widely known evil is no excuse for not rescuing the victims of slaughter. For God knows the true condition of our hearts. We know what's going on. We must stop it. That's what this passage is telling us. It is incumbent upon us as Christians to know what is right in our country and know what is wrong in our country and to act for the benefit of those so that justice and righteousness prevail in our society. We happen to live in a society in which our voice matters. Thank the Lord that we live in that kind of society. Therefore, we cannot be silent. Much needs to be done locally, nationally, globally. In just a few days, there'll be a, a national demonstration at our demonstration place. We call Washington, D.C. There'll be some today right here lo- locally, uh, marches, demonstrations, and quite frankly, all over the country. Thankfully, there will be times and places, there, there is this national time and place where the... The message for life is being articulated, and we ought to be those who are beating the drum of this important message. Uh, Right here in our own local newspaper today, uh, this weekend, is this advertisement put out by the Erie County Right to Life organization. And... Some of you participated, made made this statement to our community possible by your donations and your names are listed right here. It's just another way to get the information out that people would know there are people who value the sanctity of human life and that we believe virtue is to stand up for those who cannot speak yet for themselves. And consequently, we're trying to do something about it, to stir public interest, to elect officials that will propose legislation and vote into practice a virtuous understanding of justice for our nation. Job chapter 10 verses 11 and 12 say, You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit me together with bones and sinews. Speaking of God and His sovereign gift of life, you have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Job tells us that life is a gift from God and that life needs to be valued right from the beginning. The sanctity of human life begins with valuing life in the womb, not merely after a baby is born, but while that baby is coming to term and coming to life. When Dr. Lyle, that we've heard from from that that video, when he was speaking this week at Cedarville University, and you can go to their website and listen to every chapel service, but that particular one just this past week... I listened to it online, and Dr. Lyle answered the question, when does human life begin? When does the image of God begin in a person? And his answer was, at the moment of conception. And then he went on to describe a lot of the medical details about that, and given our medical advances, and in the laboratory, in a Petri dish, quite literally, when you have the coming together of egg and sperm, he said, quite literally, under the Uh, microscopes that are currently available to us today, you can literally see a flash of light at the moment of conception. The depolarization of zinc ions releases a flash of light at that moment. It's almost as if God is sending a flashing light message, image of God just created. Mm -hmm. Take note (laughs) The ultrasound machine has been a great tool to help people realize the unborn baby is a human life when a couple looks at that image to see what literally is inside there. You know, there's this kind of dawning on everybody. Wow, that looks like us. And even the imaging is getting so much better and better and better all the time. It it's uh, you, you can almost see family resemblance even before that baby's born. Sometimes it's amazing the uh, research and technology that is available today. All of it simply reinforcing that's not a monkey in us. It's not a tadpole in us. You know, it's 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 not you know going to go from. Tadpole to monkey to fish to uh, human or yeah you know, the, the craziness of some ideas. This is nothing but a human. You can uh, these days apparently go to stores. some's called Peekaboo, some called Show Me, or other stores, and you know for thirty bucks you get a family portrait of the baby and it hadn't been born yet. I mean you don't even have to go to the hospital. It's just that readily available and such. Uh, tools that help us uh, make the point. You could get that information right from the Bible. But, uh, but it's very compelling when you're looking at a picture of your baby in the womb, the obviousness of this. When is this baby a person? Well, it's a person from conception. In fact, Dr. Lyle told, uh, he said, you know, on one particular time I delivered these twins Uh, because of some trouble, there was a premature birth of one of the twins. And then months later, I think the first one in June, I think it was in August uh, when the other baby came to full term. He said, so you've got identical twins, uh, one born one month and another born a couple months later. Uh, So in our legislation these days, the one born in June, okay, alive, well, in, in the NICU, developing. You got another one that could literally be killed in the womb. Hasn't yet been born, but you could kill this one. This one's not a human worth valuing and protecting legally, but this one is a human worth valuing and protecting. What's the difference? There's not. They're both human. Both should be valued. Both should be protected in our legal system, in our culture. Your DNA is unique to you and only you from the moment of conception. You are you, not merely after you're born. You are you from a DNA from that moment on. Nobody else with that DNA combo but that baby in the womb but America loves abortion. We love it. We love our laws on abortion. That fact was on display just recently at the Golden Globe Awards. Actress Michelle Williams used her platform to promote abortion at the Golden Globes on January 5th. Apparently, a Michelle Williams, who I don't know at all, but uh, received the Best Actress Award for a series she did on the FX channel. In her speech, she said this, when you put this, holding up the Golden Idol she had in her hand, uh, the Golden Globe Award, holding it up, she said, when you put this in someone's hands, you're acknowledging the choices they make as an actor, moment by moment, scene by scene, day by day, so far so good. You're also acknowledging the choices they make as a person, the education they pursued, the training they sought, the hours that they put in, of course, right? Then she went to make this point. I'm grateful for the acknowledgement of the choices I've made, and I'm also grateful to live in a moment in our society when choice exists because as women and girls, things happen to our bodies that are not our choice, she went on to say, "And I wouldn't have been able to do this, get this award, have my career, whatever, without employing a woman's right to choose." As Alexandria De Sanctus pointed out in the news magazine following up on this speech that she gave, she said, "Michelle Williams never. Uh, she she." she Turns out her speech was mostly, this author says, about abortion. She never has the courage to use the word abortion. Instead, it is a constant reference to her choice as a woman. Later, she said, to choose when to have my children, this is Williams again. And with whom I felt supported and able to balance our lives, as all mothers know, that the scales must and will tip toward our children. Now I know, she said, my choices might, not, might look different than yours, but thank God, here she is thanking God, or whoever you pray to, that we live in a country founded on the principles that I am free to live by my faith, and you're free to live by your faith. You have whatever beliefs you want, I'll have whatever beliefs I want, and that should be okay. Okay. The problem here is that a baby is murdered when she lives by her faith. Now, who's going to say that? But that's the problem with letting everybody just have whatever choice they want to have. There are consequences to choices. One author put it this way, Can the freedom of one person cancel out the freedom of another? That was the question at the center of the Lincoln-Douglas famous debates back in the 1800s. And that is the question at the center of the abortion debate today. The debate over a woman's right to choose can be illuminated by studying what happened in the Lincoln-Douglas debate. Stephen-Douglas argued that individual communities, individual states, and even individual people should decide for themselves if slavery should be legal or not. In today's abortion debate, that's thinking is behind the pro-abortion movement. America's a big country. Individuals should agree to disagree about whether abortion should be legal. I should be able to proceed in whatever level of abortion I want to pro. pro- Uh, participate in you should be able to either have it or not everybody should be free to choose well Abraham Lincoln countered Stephen Douglas's argument back then that an individual cannot invoke the principle of choice without regard to the consequences of that choice In the case of Lincoln and Douglas, it was the slaves' freedom in question. Today, it is the freedom of the unborn babies that are at stake. One woman can't use her freedom to take away the freedom of someone else. Here's the bottom line. Women can't invoke choice to cancel out the life of another human being. That rationale we came to conclude was wrong to use in slavery, and that same rationale is wrong to use in abortion. There was a lot of response to Michelle Williams' declaration of thanking God for being able to have the choice of having an abortion, to be able to come to the place of having a golden idol of sacrificing children for her profession. Leah Darrow was one who responded to that declaration on television. She is America's Next Top Model contestant, and she rebuked Michelle Williams, saying in the headlines of the news, babies do not keep us from our dreams. As she prepared, we Darrow, to give birth to her fifth child, Darrow, Uh, posted a video on Instagram telling women that babies are gifts worth celebrating. Babies don't keep us from our dreams, she said. I'm getting ready to deliver a baby that will not keep me from my professional growth. It will make me better because of it. And I'm so honored and excited that I can't wait to have this baby, which is her fifth, apparently. She said, new life never keeps us from our dreams. One of the cruelest lies that the devil tells women is that we aren't brave or strong enough to do what God invites us into when we bring life into this world. New life is always a gift, and I'm humbled that I get to receive this new life and give out of the abundance the life that the Lord created for me. That's the kind of message that we really need to be hearing. We need to know that life is sacred from the beginning and we need to treat it with dignity. Even if it interrupts our schedule. Even if it's unplanned. Even if it wasn't expected. The fact is, you're expecting. So you respect that life. Norma McCorvey was Jane Roe of the Supreme Court case that we're marking with the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Norma McCorvey was the Jane Roe, the Roe in Roe versus Wade, that Supreme Court decision. She's passed away now already, but during the time between at the time that she became a spokesperson for women's rights and abortion, and um, she had a conversion spiritually, morally, and politically and became an outspoken person for Christ, for Christianity, for the truth of the Bible, and for the insistence that our country not continue to operate by Roe versus Wade, but that be struck down and changed. She claimed then that her pregnancy was the result of rape, although she became outspokenly pro-life and publicly admitted that this and virtually every fact on which her case was built was a lie. Both McCorvey and Sandra Cono, the Doe of Doe versus Bolton, and R- Rose companion case from Georgia, decided that same day. Those two cases really were the foundation upon our, our abortion legislation these days. They both, both of these women became outspoken pro-life advocates who swore that their cases were built on lies. But before the Supreme Court could decide whether McCorvey did have a constitutional right to end her unborn daughter's life, it had to overcome a procedural obstacle that slowed down the process, a delay that factored into whether her daughter would ever have a family. Because of that delay, McCorvey had already had the child by the time the Supreme Court issued its decision in January of 1973. She had been adopted, this child that was born, Roe versus Wade child. She was then adopted into a Texas home, perhaps somewhere in the Dallas area because that's where McCorvey lived. The court nevertheless said that McCorvey's case was not moot since her circumstances were capable of repetition because courts would never be able to decide the question during the time of a woman's pregnancy. Procedural history is never the exciting part of the lawsuit, but for McCorvey's unborn daughter, the dry complexity of legal procedure is the reason she exists today. Fortunately for a three-year-old girl, the wheels of justice grind slowly, and by the time the courts issued its decision, a Texas family had adopted her. If the courts could have moved more quickly, she, of course, would have been killed, But the course didn't move quickly and consequently she was born and she was adopted into a family. It's unknown to me, this author is writing, whether the adoptive family ever even knew that their daughter was the supposedly unwanted child who was the subject of Roe versus Wade. As far as we know today, they raised her not knowing who she was and certainly never telling her. This week... Many are talking about the more than 61 million people whose lives have been brutally ended by abortion, and rightly so. The numbers are staggering. It's horrific, but it's also personal. And today, somewhere, maybe still in Texas, there lives a middle-aged woman, perhaps with a family and a career of her own, with beautiful children that she loves dearly, perhaps with a husband and family that can't imagine life without her, The 61 million other babies deserved the same chance of life that McCorvey's daughter got. Well, how many of you watch Jeopardy? Everybody here. It's it's a, a law in the state of Ohio that you have to watch Jeopardy at least once a week. You're breaking the law if you don't watch Jeopardy once a week. Jeopardy crowned its greatest of all time player just recently, Ken Jennings. Be doubt the other two who were also competing to be the greatest of all time, some winning more money than others, and you know all the details because you, by law, watch Jeopardy very often. But Ken Jennings proved himself to be the best of the best. That, of course, is trivial pursuit. That's just trivial information in our entertainment society. My question this morning is this, who will be the goat of the pro-life message in your school, in your office, at your plant, where you live in our community? Who will be that person who will be the one who can open up their Bible to chapter after chapter after chapter, make the case both biblically and morally and politically and legislatively, that this is important. What would our next steps be? Our first concern is always the gospel of Christ, isn't it? We are the people who say that the engine of transformation and change starts with the gospel. Virtue is virtually impossible without conversion of heart. So we're not merely interested in what the legislation is in Washington, D.C. That comes down the line. What is the beginning? What Our first concern is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want people to have eternal life, not just physical life, right? That's what we're interested in. We're not just interested in the one that the baby give, be given a chance to live. We're interested in the eternal life of each and every baby. No matter what race, no matter what country in which they live, we're, by virtue of the instruction of God's Word, we want people to have eternal life. And so we we talk about the gospel of Christ and how it transforms lives. And when that happens... Then you have a platform upon which you can build a worldview that would say, hey, let's have a community, let's have a state, let's have a nation that values these values from God's Word because that then will lead to human flourishing and all the things that come downstream from salvation, conversion, transformation. So you convert people with information, right? the information of the gospel. That's why we learn God's Word first. That's first priority. Preach the Word. Teach the Bible. Then it'll lead to living godly lives. In other words, the kind of virtue that is displayed in my own personal life, this church's life, our community's life, our nation's life, it starts with the information of the gospel. Then transformation conversion happens with persuasion like the apostle paul said i persuade men with what human reasoning alone no with the word of god which is the sharp two-edged sword that does its work in the hearts and minds of people then we pray lord the seed's sown which we're watering you bring forth the harvest please lord we pray the lord of the harvest And then we show compassion to this confused and, let's just call it, evil society in which we live. Compassionate care for the person in that crisis pregnancy, compassionate care for the person who has the wrong idea about life and death and the image of God, compassion toward all of those who are not yet convinced and don't yet understand the truth, compassionately reaching out with the truth of the gospel, that leads to conversion. Our culture of death in this country can be reversed to value the sanctity of human life. So we just need to say it. Your voice matters in this discussion. Your vote matters in this discussion. And there's only one political party in this country that values the sanctity of human life. There's only one in the political platform of the party read them don't just listen to the candidates locally or nationally or statewide read the party platform upon which any candidate stands there's only one party that is believes in and holds to the sanctity of human life read it it's very evident and clear adoption is a caring option that's a part of the multiple layer of solutions fostering helps the whole process there's much that should be and can be done crisis pregnancy centers funding is essential but staying silent is not an option not for us In 1936, the German Supreme Court declared Jews are not recognized as persons in the legal sense. If you want to kill someone, the first thing you need to do is declare that they're not a person. In 1858, the the Virginia Supreme Court decision concluded, and I'm quoting, in the eyes of the law, the slave is not a person. If you want to enslave someone you first need to decide that that slave is not a person. In 1857, the United States Supreme Court in the Dred Scott decision said on the status of African Americans, they are a subordinate and inferior class of being. I'm a person, but you're not a person. In 1973, when the United States Supreme Court ruled, I'm quoting, The word person, as used in the 14th Amendment, does not include the unborn. The court was wrong. The court has been wrong before, and the court is wrong today and needs to be changed. Staying silent is not an option. Not if we've read and understood these chapters. Let's pray together. So Lord, uh, we live in a culture of death, valuing, even celebrating, violent death of humans. We repent of that. It's in some measure our own fault because we've voted for this. We've allowed this to happen on our watch, in our generation. It is our fault. And we repent of that. I pray that we would take measures that would help ensure that we win people to conversion, to salvation, that then has an impact on all matters of justice including and most prominently this one, which literally is a life and death issue immediately right now. So help us, Lord, to see the sense of it and respond appropriately. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Decided
0: to follow Jesus. I-
2: on that response card. Let us know if you're interested in what it means to be converted, saved, uh, what practical steps can have. There's there's all kind of resources, even in today's newspaper, uh, ways to get involved. What can be done? Uh, Let's uh, network together toward what is virtuous and good. So Lord, we thank you for the challenging chapters that expose the truth to us, and even if it tells us our country's wrong, help us to have the courage, even if no one goes with us, to follow you in what is right. So give us courage for that strength, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.